We'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 14. Of course, we're continuing our study of the nation of Israel. We're seeing the kings. Actually, the focus is on King David. This is the man who's a man after God's own heart. He is great. And when we think about David, we go, wow, he was the greatest. But David is in trouble now. He has sinned with Bathsheba, and there are consequences coming into his family. There's been problems with the family. One of his sons raped one of the daughters, and then one of the other sons named Absalom killed that son named Amnon and has run off, and, and it's just been a terrible thing. So there's been all kind of conflict in the family. And we saw last time, last time that we talked about this, uh, we saw that David longed for his son Absalom to come back. Absalom killed Amnon. That's the oldest son. Absalom uh, killed him and, and ran off. And so David wants him back, and Joab, who is David's general, we'll talk more about it, we'll get a little further into it. Joab wanted uh, David, you know, wanted to, to have David bring it back. So he sent this woman in there, and she basically told the story, and David now realizes I'm supposed to, you know, get Absalom back. So he's going to call for him. And so as we look at this this morning, he does come back, but we're going to raise the question, do we see reconciliation? And then we're going to talk about a number of things as we go through the passage this morning, but it, it, did David, did David and his son reconcile? What happened? And so as we look at this, we're going to raise some questions and some issues. We're going to talk about reconciliation and forgiveness, and we're going to talk about what is forgiveness. We realize reconciliation and forgiveness, two different things. We're going to talk about the problems of disunity and conflict, especially within the nation of Israel. And then what happens when we emphasize the physical? And we're talking about the outer part of the person, and that's absolute, and we're going to see that, what happens, and we're going to see how these things fit together. So I think there'll be a lot there that we can make application for. Let's start with this, and let me just raise this question. Are there people, certain people, that when you think of them, you get a pain in your stomach? There's hurt. There were times maybe you were close, but then something happened, and there's been conflict and pain and hurt. They hurt you, and it's never been the same. And sometimes in our lives, these kind of things happen. There's conflict, there's pain, there's hurt, and it goes on, and, and, and things can never really be the same. And you say, well, what about forgiveness? Can we forgive them? Well, how, what is forgiveness? And, and how important is forgiveness in our lives? And let me just say this. Forgiveness, and we're going to talk more about it in a little bit, is releasing the debt. And I want you to understand that if you do not forgive other people, because that's releasing the debt, there's going to be bitterness and division and anger and depression, and it all comes back on you. And we'll talk more about it in just a little bit. So we're going to see that in the life of David, that the plan is to reconcile and have forgiveness with David and Absalom. That's the plan, but we're going to see what happens. Now, remember that forgiveness is actually canceling the debt. It's a choice. It's different from memories and feelings. We'll talk more about it in a little bit, but you may still have memories about something. You may still have feelings about something, but that's not the same as forgiveness. Forgiveness is actually releasing the debt. And so as we look at our passage this morning, we want to raise really this question, does David forgive? And the truth is, we're not going to know whether he does or not, but is there reconciliation? I think we'll be able to tell yes or no there. We'll see it as we go through this. Sometimes in our lives, there are conflicts and there are things that happen that just break our hearts and somebody hurts us and we say, I don't know what to do. And, you know, vengeance, as we know, vengeance belongs to the Lord and we, you know, we want to get them back, but we know we're not supposed to. So what exactly is forgiveness and what does it mean to forgive someone and how does this work? And in, is everybody supposed to be reconciled? And we'll, we'll talk about it. So let me give you a little background. Joab, here's King David. 
King David has a nephew named Joab. Now, David is older, so Joab's not a boy. He's, he's, a, he's actually the general. He's a, a great fighter. He's a leader. He's everything. Now, let me just tell you about Joab. Joab, it, sometimes Joab is great, and sometimes Joab is bad. And so you want to sort of be on the good side of Joab because one minute he could be great to you, and the next minute he'd kill you. He is David's general. He loves David. And he knows that David wants his son to come back. Now, let me tell you something. David had the oldest son. His name was Amnon. David had a second son. He, best we can tell, he must have died. David had a third son. That's named Absalom. That's the one in this passage. Amnon raped his sister. And that was Absalom's sister named Tamar. So Absalom waited for two years, and then he killed Amnon. And when he killed Amnon, he had to run off. And so he's been gone for a while. David loves Absalom. He loved Amnon too, but Amnon's dead. He loves Absalom, and he really wants him to come back. Joab knows this, and we saw last time that Joab went and found this woman, a woman from a little city called Tekoa, and she was a wise woman. He got her to go in there and tell a story, and the story was that she wanted her son to be come back. And so David says, your son will come back. Then she says... If my son comes back, why didn't your son come back? And David thought, wait a minute. And then he said, is Joab behind this? And she said, yes. And he said, okay, I understand. Now, Joab now knows that David has found out he put this woman up to this. And David's going to call for Joab. Now, Joab could say to himself, this is the last thing I'm going to ever do because he's going to call me in there and kill me. Or he may not. We don't know. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, and we're going to see it. So let me give you the outline of our passage this morning. We're going to look at verses 21 through 33. We're going to call it Absalom's return. He doesn't get to see David. We'll talk about that. The background of Absalom, Joab's field, and the reconciliation, and we'll talk about it. And I'm going to raise a question right now. At the very end, is there reconciliation? And we'll see how it ties. Look at verse 21 of, of 2 Samuel 14. Then the king said to Joab, Behold, now I will surely do this thing. Go, therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. Well, let me tell you, he calls in Joab, and Joab goes in not knowing whether he's going to live or die because he thinks well, King David could kill me because of what I've done. And King David says, Okay, I get it. Let's, okay, we'll get Absalom. Go get and bring Absalom back. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? We, we, we look at it and we go, this is great. Da David and Absalom get back together. Now, you got to remember that David, David has committed adultery and murdered. Absalom has murdered. I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's, just, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. He wants Absalom to come back. Look what Joab did, uh, verse 22, when David told him that. Joab fell on his face to the ground, prostrated himself, and, and blessed the king. And, and Joab said... Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, my, o my Lord the king, in that the king has performed the request of the servant. Well, you know, Joab fell on his face. I mean, he thought, wow, this is good. I'm blessed the king. I found favor. He will do what I request. So he says, "Woo! I'm not going to get killed. David's going to actually ask for his son to come back home. Now, when you read this and, and we're reading the Bible and just think about it in real life, and you think, wouldn't it be better if David and Absalom could get back together instead of him living outside of the land of Israel, Absalom? What, what's going to happen? And so here's the question that I might ask you. Why does Joab care? 
why does Joab even care whether Absalom comes back or not? Well, first of all, maybe, maybe Joab cared about unity, that the, the family is split up and even the nation is split up over this. Or it could be that he saw David hurting. And as I told you, Joab sometimes is a really good person, really good man. Sometimes he's really a bad man. So maybe he saw David wanting his son to come back, and he says it would be good if David could have his son back. There's a third thing. Maybe he wanted to get on the good side of Absalom. You know why? Because one day Absalom may be the king. Remember, Amnon was the oldest son. He would have been the king. He's dead. The second son, we don't even know whatever happened to him. He may have died as a baby. The third son is Absalom. And everybody thinks Absalom's going to be the next king. Now, we know that God has already picked Solomon to be the next king. But here is Joab. Joab says, well, Absalom one day may be king. And if he's king, I want to be on the good side of the king. In fact, when Absalom takes over after David dies, I mean, look at this right here. With Absalom in exile, Absalom will be cut off from being the king. So Joab's looking to the future, and he's probably saying, when Absalom becomes king, he'll remember, I helped him get back and get to be king, so he'll be good to me, just like David is good to me. That's what he's probably thinking. So look what happens, verse 23. So Joab arose and went to Gersher and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. Well, that looks really good. He went to Gersher, which is across the Jordan River, and it was where the king Talmai was there, and that was his grandfather. And so he brings him back, and everything looks great. However, notice verse 24, how it starts. However, you know, whenever you say something like, we're going to do this, however, that however sort of messes things up. He says, we're going to bring back Absalom. However, and look what he says. However, the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom turned to his own house and did not see the king's face. What? He's waited for years to get this boy back. Two years. And he comes back. And when he comes back, he says, he can come back, but he can't ever see me. King David says, he can't see me. He can't come see me. He can't come into the palace. He can't come to the throne. He can't see me at all. He can just go stay in his own house. He can never look at me. Let me ask you, is that reconciliation? Doesn't appear to be. Is it forgiveness? I, I guess he could have forgiven Absalom, released the debt, but he says he can't see me. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think that's going to go over well? I mean, it's not going to go over well. Think about this. Absalom cannot see my face. Tom Constable, who was a professor at Dallas Seminary, he said this, this forgiveness is official, but it's not personal. Everybody now knows Absalom is able to come back to Israel, but he can't see David. He can't see his own father. And, and so he, David is doing that. Now, here's the question. Why would David do this? Well, first of all, it could be that David is going to show him that he'll not get away with murder. David's going to punish Absalom. But let me ask you a question. When David committed adultery and murder and God sent a prophet to him, what did God say to him? He said, you did these wrong things. I'm going to show you grace. David, you will not die. God showed grace to David. What should David have done with Absalom? 
You remember the whole idea of forgiving one another and all of this? And, and so David is basically saying, you're not going to get away with it. Also, I think he made Absalom look bad to the people. People all know that he came back, but they also know that David won't even look at him. David, he can't even come to see his own father. So that's making Absalom look bad as well. So is this forgiveness? Is this reconciliation? No. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. How did God deal with us? Let me show you something. How many sins did Jesus pay for? All of them. When we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, are all our sins forgiven? The answer is yes. How are we supposed to relate to others? Think about it. David is not showing the forgiveness and reconciliation that he probably should have. So let's stop for just a second and let's remind ourselves about forgiveness. And we're going to raise these three questions just briefly. We talked about them a couple of weeks ago. But what is forgiveness? Why forgive? And what is the result of forgiveness? Well, the first thing is, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness means to cancel the debt. It means to lift it up. There's a Greek word, arao, which means to take up. That's one of the words for forgiveness. It's the idea of letting it go. It's saying, okay, you don't owe me anything. If you forgive someone, whatever they did to you, you you've canceled the debt out, you've released it, you let it go, as if it never happened. You said, I've released them from the debt. Listen, you're not sitting there saying, they need to come to me and tell me they're sorry. They need to come make this up to me. No, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is, I release the debt and I let it go. And by the way, forgiveness is for us. Forgiveness is for us because it helps us. Because if you don't, if you don't, you're going to have problems. And, and let, me, let me remind you of something. Forgiveness is not necessarily forgiving. And there still may be the memories. There still may be the feelings. Listen, there's sometimes I've been hurt in my life that if you brought it up to me right now, I've forgiven. I've let it go. I've never expected anything back. But if you brought up certain things, I still have bad memories. They hurt. And I still have hurt feelings. All of you do. But forgiveness doesn't mean that goes away, because it may not. It may and it may not. But forgiveness is releasing the debt. You're letting it go. And, and it's a choice that we make. So if you're in this room and you, you are harboring a grudge, somebody's hurt you, you're saying, I'm not letting this go. I, you know, and first of all, let me tell you something. You're not supposed to get them back anyway. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. That's why forgiveness is you release the debt. And so when you do that, if you're sitting here saying that person has hurt me and they're not getting away with it, you know who's going to be hurting the most out of this thing? You are. When we don't forgive, that's where the problems come in. And so that's why we raise this question. Why forgive? Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. If God forgives us, we forgive others. Remember how much Christ has forgiven us. And let me just tell you something, and you know this is true, that when you don't forgive... When you don't release the dead, when you say they're going to pay, I'm never going to forget this. They're going to always, I'm going to, I'm going to, they've got to come back and tell me this. Listen, when you do that, you know what happens? You become angry and you become bitter and then you become depressed. As time goes by, it eats at you and you're the one hurting. In fact, you know what? You think you're hurting them by not forgetting them? Did you know that sometimes they don't even care? They don't care whether they hurt you or not. They don't even think they hurt you. You could go to them and say, you know you hurt me, and they might say, I did not, and you're an idiot. 
They could say that. And you could go, these people hurt me. And who's hurting now? You are, because you won't forgive them. Because you won't release the debt. Releasing the debt is for you. It's for you. There could be bitterness and pain and anger and depression if we don't. The third thing, what is the result of forgiveness? There's fellowship with God. There's fellowship with others. And, and there's peace and there's forgiveness. And, and all of that happens when you release the debt. It's really for us. Let me show you this. How do we forgive? Or how, how do we forgive whether they ever ask or even admit it. Listen, a person, if a person came to you and said, I'm so sorry, I know I did wrong. What do you say to them? I forgive you. What if they never come? What if they never admit they did wrong? You know what you do? You still release the debt. You let it go. So it won't kill you, so it won't burden you, so it won't make you depressed. Whether they ask or not. How often do we forgive? How many times? Over and over. Matthew 18. Peter was there, and so he started to talk to Jesus. He thought he'd be pretty sharp. And he said, Lord, how many times do you forgive somebody when they hurt you and they come and ask for forgiveness? And then Peter said, seven times? And he thought he was pretty good because the Pharisees taught three times. If somebody hurt you after three times that they did it, don't forgive them anymore. So Peter doubled it, basically. He said, what about it, Lord? Somebody hurt you and asked for forgiveness. How about seven times? And Jesus went, 70 times seven, which means unlimited. Jesus says, forgive every time. Forgive every time. Well, when we look at this, has David forgiven? We, we don't know. Has, has David reconciled? Well, I wouldn't say that he's reconciled. Would you? He said, let him turn to his own house. He can't see my face. Where are you? Understand that. Uh, and, and let me say one other thing about reconciliation for a second. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. The ultimate goal in every relationship is forgiving one another and being back in fellowship with each other, reconciliation. But sometimes reconciliation is not possible. It takes two people to reconcile. If one person says, I'm not, then no matter how much you want to reconcile, they won't reconcile. It could be you say, I don't want to reconcile with them. And let me just say this. We know we forgive every time, always. Reconciliation is a little bit different. There may be some people who have hurt you that if you try to reconcile with them, they may hurt you again and again. And sometimes it's better to forgive and not necessarily put yourself back in a situation where they can continue to hurt you. So not all reconciliation happens every time. Now this is bad because David says, bring my son back, but he can't see me. David is not reconciling with his son. He's allowing to come back, but he's not reconciling. Now whether David forgave or not, we have no idea. We can't tell from the passage, but we can tell that he's not reconciling. Well, what happens now? Well, let's see this, and we'll go pretty quickly. Look what happens. We now get some information about Absalom, and look what it says here. There's nobody more handsome. Watch this verse, verse 25. Now, in all Israel, no one was as handsome as Absalom, so highly praised. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no defect in him. I mean, he's one of those guys that is so handsome that when people saw him, they went, God, night, that guy is handsome. I mean, look at his hair. Look at this. Look at this. He was just amazing. Now, listen, King David, King David was handsome. 
I mean, he was called ruddy. That means he had a little complexion. And it just, he just was, it even says in one place he had beautiful eyes. David was amazing. And the women the, that, that married him were all supposed to be beautiful. And we find out that all the kids that David had were beautiful. His sit, one of his daughters was Tamar, that beautiful one. And so here's Absalom. And if you would have seen Absalom, you would have said, wow, that guy is some kind of guy. And, and of course, here's the problem. People are looking on the outside and seeing him. And so nobody was more handsome. Look at the next verse. Now, when he cut the hair of his head, and by the way, before I finish reading this verse, I just want you to know, hair is greatly overrated. Okay, but anyway, it says, when he cut the hair of his head, and it was at the end of every year that he cut it, for it was heavy on him, so he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels by the king's weight. That's five pounds of hair. Can you imagine five pounds of hair? I probably had never had five pounds of hair in my whole life, you know? And here he has, every year they cut the hair, and it weighs five pounds. Uh, we're going to see before it's all over, this hair gets him into trouble, okay? We'll see it, but just uh, we'll see how that fits together. So he's just a handsome guy and everything, and then he gives him a little bit more information. To Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. He named his daughter after the sister that was raped that he killed the brother over. So, and she was a woman of beautiful appearance. Now, I have, to, I have to stop for a second and tell you, it says he had sons, but apparently they all died because when you get a couple of chapters over and it talks about his life, he put a monument down and he said, I put this monument to myself since I have no sons to carry on my name. So they must have died. So Absalom has at least one daughter, and best we know, he had sons, but they must have died. And so he's just one of these guys that everybody looks at and say, people often look to the outside rather than the character. And many are swayed by physical appearance. And, and Absalom, he's going to win people's hearts. He's the kind of guy that if you saw him, you'd probably like him. He was handsome. He was smart. He was probably everything. He had a, probably a great personality. You would be drawn to him. And, and, but, but I want you to understand something. He is not a man of character. He's not. David is. You may say, well, David's a scoundrel. No, David is not a scoundrel. David is a man after God's own heart. David blew it. And every one of us in this room, at some time in our life, we've blown it. And you can be a man or a woman of character and still mess up. And Psalm 78, 72 says, David shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them with his skillful hands. David was a man of character. Now, Absalom is handsome, but he is not a man of character. We'll see it before the passage is over. Look what it says. Now, Absalom, uh, and we'll see how this goes. Now, Absalom had lived, uh, by the way, I've got to put this up. Man, man usually looks to outward. God looks to the inward. It's so easy to look at, say, athletes or models or movie stars. Or, and you say, oh, they got it made. Look, they're so handsome, so pretty, so this, so that. And people tend to look at the outside. And they say, that guy can really play this. Or that guy could do this. Or that guy was a great athlete. Listen, it's not the outside. It's the inside that counts. And so look what happened. Verse 28. Now, Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem and did not see the king's face. Two years went by. So here's what he decides to do. Absalom sent for Joab uh, to send him to the king, but he wouldn't come to him. So he sent a second time and he wouldn't come. Now Absalom's plan is to send Joab, tell Joab to come and then go see the king and tell the king, Absalom wants to see you, David. That's what he wants. 
Well, he sent for Absalom twice and he wouldn't, I mean, he sent for Joab twice and he wouldn't come. So watch the next verse. Therefore, he said to his servants, see, Joab's field is next to mine. He has a barley there. Go set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose, came to Absalom in his house and said, why have you set your, why have your servants set my field on fire? What do you think you're doing? Why would you do this? He's basically going to say, because I tried to get you to come and you wouldn't come. So I thought if I set your field on fire, you'd come. And you did. So notice what Absalom answered Joab. Behold, I sent for you, saying, Come here, that I may send you to the king to say, Why have I come from Shura? It'd be better for me to be, with, be there. He said, Since I can't see the king, it would be better if I lived somewhere else. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. And if there's iniquity in me, let him put me to death. And so we're going to see the character of Absalom. He sets fire to the guy's field. So let me tell you what Absalom will do. Absalom will do whatever it takes to do whatever he wants to do. He ultimately wants to be the king in place of his father, and he will do whatever it takes to be the king. You watch. We'll see it as we go along. Here's a statement that I want you to look at carefully. Joab said, Absalom says, If I have done any iniquity, let me be put to death. If I've done any wrong, let me be put to death. Had he done wrong? Yes. Listen, what this says, it says, do we see his acknowledgement of his sin, humbleness, and confession? The answer is no. We don't see anything from him. We don't see him saying, let me go to King David. I admit I blew it. I messed up. I don't deserve to even be here, but I would like to be here. That's not what you see. He says, if I've done anything wrong, and he had. It's so easy, it's so easy to blind ourselves and to think that we haven't done wrong. It's so easy to see everybody else's sin and miss our own sin. And Absalom is saying, well, you just tell him if I've done anything wrong, he can put me to death. Had he done something wrong? Did he murder? Yeah, he should be put to death. He should be. And so... It's hard sometimes when people overlook their own sin. See, Absalom wanted to be king. That's the plan. His plan is to be the king. And you know what he's actually saying? Do you think King David, my father, is going to get away with making me go two years and I could never even look at his face? You think he's going to get away with that? Listen, I'm going to do whatever it takes to become the king. I'm going to take this thing over. Because he's not a man of character. He's a man of good looks. But not character. So watch what happens. Verse 33. So Joab came to the king and told him. And he called for Absalom. And thus he came to the king. And he prostrated himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. That looks so good. Doesn't it? He came and he fell down before David, and David said, My son, my son, and he kissed him. Oh, you're back. Is this reconciliation? Let me tell you what. It might be from David, but it's not from Absalom. From this moment on, Absalom says, I will take the kingdom from David. Wait till we start the next chapter. See what happens. He's going to be looking for opportunities to get David back. 
Absalom's revolt is going to come because of the lack of forgiveness, reconciliation, and fellowship. You want to have trouble in your life? Don't forgive. You want to have trouble in your life? Don't be reconciled. And you'll have trouble all the rest of your life. That's what's happening here. So, let's forgive one another. Whenever people hurt us, whenever we're wronged, let it go. Forgiveness is taking it and saying it's gone. I'm not expecting them to come to me and say they're sorry. I'm not expecting them to right the wrong. In fact, I'm not expecting that at all. In fact, I've lifted up. They don't owe me anything. That's what forgiveness is. And you have to do that whether they ask for forgiveness or not. Okay. Remember what God has done for us in Christ. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God has forgiven us in Christ. Realize that disunity destroys our testimony and our ministry. Whoops, there we go. Realize that lack of forgiveness builds resentment and revenge. And we've seen it. We've seen it in the life of David and Absalom. And then finally, lack of forgiveness hurts us. It hurts us. When I tell you to forgive, it's not for that person that hurts you. It's for you. Because that'll set you free. It hurts us. The lack of forgiveness, there's anger, there's bitterness, and it almost always leads to depression. Almost always. And you see people and they're so depressed and you start talking to them and you find out somebody hurt them 10 years ago and they've never gotten over it. That's what happens. Let's examine our lives in the area of sin. Why? Because Absalom didn't even recognize it. He says, I've done nothing wrong. If I've done something wrong, well, let me tell you what we do. We look at our lives. What should we do when we see sin? We should confess it. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So that's what we do. We, we look at our lives, and the moment we realize their sin, we confess it. And then the last thing is let's develop our character. And this is, this is really the key because our focus should not be on the outward. It's on the inward. It's okay to look good on the outside. You want to look as good as you can look on the outside. Some of us just don't have much to work with. And so, but the bottom line is focus on the inward part. The, be a person of integrity. Be a person of honesty. Be a faithful person. Be a person whoops, that, that keep, keep our word. I mean, that's what we want to do. We want to be men and women of integrity and honesty and faithfulness, and we want to be people of character. So how do we do that? Well, we know one and apply in the Bible. Go dig the Scripture. That's why we teach the Bible and all these things we do. We want you to know the Word of God so you can apply the Word of God. Knowing and applying the Word of God, living by it, it develops our character. And be accountable to someone. It's ideal if there's a friend, someone that you can connect with that can help you that can help each other as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Psalm 27, uh, Proverbs 27, 17. As, as, as one man sharpens another, that's what we do. And if you get with people that's going to help you grow, get with people that's going to help you be a godly person, that's what, how you develop character. And then the third one is live by the power of the Holy Spirit. God has given us the Holy Spirit inside for us to grow and to make an impact and to, to do all those things, and He is our strength. So, we want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. We want to be men and women of character. And we want to forgive one another every time. And if possible, be reconciled. May we do that.